you wouldn't look for a babysitter by trying to see what the cheapest babysitter rate is. You would want to find someone who would treat your kids right and who would be the best option overall. Communication is super important, listening to the feedback that they have, because again, unless you're in the stores yourself, you're just not gonna get to see that information. Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. Let's talk demos. In-store demonstrations are an important tool in a CPG company toolbox. So we brought our favorite team of demo experts to help us navigate this topic. Bridget Aragon and David Heiser, co-founders of Grassroots Demos. Grassroots Demos helps brands boost sales and reach more customers by sampling their items in stores. Shoppers get to taste items in a safe environment and give feedback, and brands get super valuable insights and support sell-through. Listen in as David and Bridget share about the critical components to a successful demo, how to hire and train the right brand ambassadors, tips for navigating demo logistics like sample sourcing and supply chain, what demo performance data to track, the pros and cons of managing your own brand ambassador team versus using a vendor, best practices for retailer communication about demos, how to incentivize brand ambassador performance, how merchandising fits into the picture, and more. And stay tuned at the end of the episode for a mini interview with Delisa from Startup CPG Shelfie Award winner, Funky Mellow, my new favorite marshmallow cream with a wonderful story. Hi, Bridget and David. How are you today? Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you so much. We're excited to be here. Awesome. And it was so fun to, when we're recording this, we just all saw each other in person at Expo East in Philadelphia last week. So it's really fun to get to talk to guests that I actually just saw in real life. I know it was great meeting you and Daniel and everyone at the team over there. It was wonderful seeing the booth and going to the mic drop party. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. That was awesome. So I would love if you could start off by Tell us a little bit about Grassroots, and then if you each could just kind of introduce yourself, like what's your role at Grassroots, that would be super awesome. Sure. So I'll start off. So what we do at Grassroots is we're a field marketing agency that specializes in in in-store demos, uh, merchandising campaigns, and assisting brands just get into more customers' hands. Um, I am David Heiser, and I run a lot of the background stuff, operations, brand communication, things like that. So I'm Bridget Aragon. Um, What I really focus on is a lot of the day-to-day management with the team. So communicating with the brand ambassadors, um, communicating with the actual brands themselves. I help set up their campaigns and do all the scheduling on their end too. So I'm the ones communicating with the retailers and making sure that we're all set up and ready to go. Awesome. That's great. And I'm wondering if we can, I always kind of like to define terms when we're when we're talking through a topic, you know, can you talk a little bit about some of the different terms we'll be using like field marketing, in-store demos versus like a merchandising, merchandising check? Can you talk about some of those different pieces mean when we're talking about field marketing? I, I love to just kind of hear definitions of terms. Yeah, sure. So to give a quick couple of like the bread and butter definitions for field marketing, um, specifically for like CPG, food and beverage. Uh, in-store demos is in-store sampling. So when we say that, that's really like going to the stores, setting up a table um, and passing out product. Think what you would see at a typical Costco, um, a product being made, served, and then sold hopefully to customers uh, in stores. That's an in-store demo. 
the distinction between that and like maybe a merchandising visit would be a merchandising visit is definitely more focused on just visiting the stores, assessing the level of the quality of their shelf space. Like, are you out of stock? Are you in stock? Is your new item that you're trying to roll out on the shelf yet? If it's not, are you going to troubleshoot that? Who do you talk to? So merchandising visits, think just checking into your local like independent or chain store to see how you're doing at the moment, along with like photos and everything like that. Great. And for like the term field marketing, that's a little bit broader than in-store marketing. Field marketing could be sending someone to a race or having or even more guerrilla type marketing where you have people wearing backpacks and going around, whereas in-store demos are kind of a component of field marketing. If uh, At least that's how I usually think about it if, if we're on the same page. Absolutely. Yeah, correct. Field marketing is a really broad umbrella that covers everything from like like a big trade show and event staffing to things like you said, where it's like a, maybe like a big race or an event um, that you're sponsoring or anything and, and in-store demos and merchandising and everything and anything in between. So it's a pretty broad term. Generally speaking, most brands are going to be focusing usually on one of three things event staffing, which is like bigger events, trade shows, um, in-store demos, which is just, like I said, the sampling in stores to customers and merchandising, which is more focused on like the business side of things, checking in with retailers, making sure your items look good and the customers can purchase you off the shelf when they visit. Perfect. That's great. So we're going to kind of focus our conversation primarily around in-store demos and best practices and setting up for success for those. And so with with all of the in-store demos that you all uh, do and your team does, I'm hoping we can kind of dig into, you know, some of the the critical pieces of training and hiring. So we'll, we'll kind of, uh, you know, but I'd love to start with, you know, what are kind of some of the critical components to success of an in-store demo? If a brand comes to you and says, hey, we want to start doing in-store demos you know, or our retailers asked us to do demos, what are the first things that you kind of talk them through or that you want them to think about because you want to set up a demo program for success from the beginning? Yeah, that's a great question because I think we have a lot of um, brands that come to us who are curious, you know, what can we do? They just don't know besides like setting up the demo, kind of the multiple layers that come into making a demo successful. So we always suggest... Um, actually having some marketing materials, having some brand training so that our team is really an extension of the brand themselves. So we feel comfortable in stores being able to talk about the product and answer, you know, detailed questions just like a founder would be in the stores themselves. Um, Coordinating with the stores is super important. So making sure the brands understand that every store has a different process in terms of scheduling. So how we have to schedule, what key dates and times are for them. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a couple of different pieces that kind of really go into it. Yeah, like Whole Foods has got like the whole like portal system that you're going to yeah. be booking in and you want to like be prepared for those things. And yeah, you definitely want to set up uh, your demo team to be an extension of your team. Sure, you you can just send someone in, but if they don't know enough about your product or they don't they aren't educated about it or they aren't passionate, that's going to come through in the store experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's something where it's like it's not given a lot of thought. I think when, when brands are just starting out, uh, it's a really important piece. And obviously sampling your item to friends, family is how almost every brand starts. And the extension of that, usually, you know, people go to farmer's markets, do local events, and that's sort of the beginning. But if you think about even with those, there's always a process. There's always someone you need to talk to and coordinate with, whether it's your local community or an event organizer or a farmer's market coordinator. 
Um, it's always a process, right? And that is the same whether it's an independent store or a national or international chain. It's going to be a big process that you need to start thinking of early on so that by the time you are doing not just one or 10, but maybe 100 sampling campaigns um, across, or 100 events across the country, that you're ready for that and that you're in compliance with all the rules and regulations of all the different retailers that you're going to end up at. But it's not too complicated. It's just something that you want to start structuring and thinking of from the beginning. Right. And how do you how do you talk through or work through kind of what the success metrics are for a demo campaign? Because I imagine there can be different versions of success of maybe maybe it's sales on the shelf. I mean, obviously, we always want more sales, but, you know, it, I, I just assume that there can be kind of some different goals and based on the product type too for what success is going to look like for a campaign. Cause you know, and we'll probably talk about it some more. Having a demo team and brand ambassadors can be a big cost for especially for an emerging brand. So how can you kind of set up from the beginning? These are the metrics that we're going to achieve and see that we've had a successful quote unquote demo program. How do you kind of talk brands through that or what do you what do you talk through to make sure that the expectations are aligned from the beginning on what success looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, I think every brand is going to have a different metric for success in terms of what they're looking for. But fundamentally, to keep it simple, we um, we track a lot of things. But when we look at our data, when we look at our software and we see what's the most important information we're getting, it's a couple of things, really just a couple. It's how many people are you reaching at every demo? And, and you can do this without any fancy software or anything. Like if you're a startup and let's say you're going to your local independent, the number one thing you can do is buy a cheap golf tally clicker off of Amazon or for, for a couple of dollars. And just for every person that you pass out a sample to, just click it once, twice. And if you do this at a farmer's market anywhere, that's a really important KPI. If you think about how many people are you reaching You'll be surprised both for, for good and for bad. Sometimes you'll think you sampled to more people than you did. And sometimes you'll think you won't, you won't really keep track of it. And you'll be surprised at the end by how many people you really reached, um, at, at any, at a given event. So that's one thing I would definitely say track the number of people you're engaging with, just like with any form of marketing. That's really important. Um, you know, number two is just feedback. That's the big thing. What are the positive comments? What are the negative comments? Again, you don't need any sort of software necessarily to track this in the beginning. It's helpful later on, but especially to start, you want to stay scrappy. You want to just keep track of what people are telling you, especially when you're iterating, when you're, you know, those sub one-year-old brands, when you're still forming the product as you go along and every production run really counts, keep listen to what the customers are saying and document it. If you hear something notable, you write it down, just put it in a note on your phone or take a second um, to document that feedback because it's really valuable. I mean, I stress this all the time to brands, a big benefit that you get from demos is hearing what people say in an unvarnished way, whether it's good or bad, uh, you'll get really valuable feedback, really off the wall questions, things that you wouldn't think of yourself. People will ask. It's like, it's like a free focus group when you're there in front of those people, because they will tell you what they really think. So that's another thing. So the last thing I would say is sales, because that is always important. Um, it's obviously a, a primary metric in terms of how many people are actually being converted, how many people are really going to purchase that product that you just told them about, um, because that's really showing the commitment to your brand that they like it enough to buy it. So those three things, really. So one, just engagements. I'd say that's like really, really important um, and easy to track. 
Two is just feedback, you know, especially notable feedback. You know, if your product has too much salt in the eyes of a lot of customers, that might be a concern that you'd want to address. Or if it doesn't have enough protein or things like that, a lot of the time ingredient feedback, very important. And then last is sales. Um, you want to track those. With those three things, you'd be able to assess at, a, at at least a basic level um, the performance of any given event. Yeah, that's great. And for tracking sales, do you generally, you know, at least from when from my own demo experience, like, you know, kind of the, the scrappy way to track sales during a demo is take a quick count on the shelf before your demo, count after, see what you sold. And then just in the coming weeks, kind of keep an eye on if you don't have access to like paid syndicated data, you can maybe still keep an eye on, did you get another PO from the distributor? Um, and do you know which store it's going to or checking in with the store later and seeing if they're continuing to sell any other kind of you know ways to help track sales if you maybe don't have access to, to data? Yes, that's another thing I should have noted. That's a great point is that you want to make sure that you're taking that inventory at the beginning um, and the end of an event. Like if you're at a local store, just count the stuff on the shelf, make sure to write it down in a note on your phone. Um, and then at the end, go back and check that again. Almost all of the time, that number is going to be almost completely accurate. A couple bars or units might yeah. get put back here and there, but really that's going to be what you sold most of the time. Right. And, you know, maybe this has uh, evolved over time, but, and it depends on the type of store, but, you know, how does it work as far as the, the sampling at, you know, maybe some of the major chains, like, are you bringing in your own samples? Are you buying them off of the shelves? Are you arming brand ambassadors with coupons to buy off the shelves? Like what are kind of some of the ways to get the samples in the store and then prepare them? Um, and then I'm, you know, I'm guessing there's some still some regulations around different states with, with COVID, but kind of curious about the sampling piece and the logistics of that. Yeah, of course. So it's actually really dependent on the retailer and the brands. So it's just really specific for most retailers. They're pretty open to purchasing product in store or bringing your own product into the store. But most of the brands like, um, like us to purchase a product in store, we can get reimbursed for that. Sometimes they'll give us coupons so we can use the coupons in stores or other times they'll provide each of the individual reps with the actual product that they'll be using to sample in stores. So it's really just dependent on the actual retailer if they have any regulations for it. Now, since COVID, we've seen that all the stores have kind of been open to the live sampling again and to purchasing product in store and, and samples like that. Yeah, in general, it just depends on the format. Like if you're an ice cream company, you're probably not going to be bringing product to the stores because it's probably going to be really difficult to do that without compromising the quality. But if you're a protein bar brand, It'll probably be different for you and it'll be pretty easy to just pick up items off the shelf. It's a little extra velocity and you're utilizing the existing supply chain, permits, everything. It's all taken care of when you get it from the shelf. Um, so generally speaking, that's the best thing to do. But like Bridget had mentioned, brands have the option of doing either one. Um, in the beginning, sometimes it makes sense to provide your own product. Uh, for events, certainly, you're probably not going to be purchasing from anywhere because most of those events, you're going to have to bring your own stuff. So it just depends on the format and the venue. But in general, probably simpler to utilize your existing distribution than to go and try and transport product to have because you never know how much you're going to use. And it's always it always becomes sort of a hassle the more and more events that you do. Right. And any kind of best practices or tips also for maintaining the relationship for with the retailer? So, you know, you're coming 
into their space. You know, hopefully they're excited for you to be there. Maybe they've even requested for you to um, to to do demos at their store. But how? What are kind of some best practices for maintaining that relationship as far as you know, giving them a heads up that the demo's coming so that they can uh, stock or being respectful when you're in the store? Any kind of things that you've do's or don'ts that you've you've seen for having a really strong relationship with the store? Because we talked about the benefit of. Um, you know, getting to hear from customers. But I think that other benefit in there is that you're you're in touch with your retailers and getting to talk with employees and meet them and get their feedback and, you know, have them be advocates of your product. So I'm kind of curious about the retailer side. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think it's super important to maintain that relationship. It's just as uh, equally important, like what it is with customers. But when we're working with these stores consistently, what we've really seen that makes a big difference is the fact that we have the same consistent team members going into the stores um, on a monthly basis. So just like our brand ambassadors get to form a, a relationship with the stores, um, it's really helpful to helping us when we have any issues with ordering product or making sure that we can get on the schedule, that we have key dates and times for those events. Um, Just being on our best behavior and making sure that we're friendly and treating them really great. I think we always want to give them samples and introduce them to the product as well. We've seen a big difference with that when we're in the store introducing a new item. When they get to try the product themselves and get to get educated on it, then they get excited and they also get to be introducing the product to customers as well if we're not ever in there. Right. Yeah. I've found like seeing if you can leave some sample, you know, it has to be shelf stable, obviously, or um, so it doesn't work with all products or like products that aren't prepared. But if you got something like shelf stable and packaged, like if you can leave some in the break room, or you can really get some awesome employee advocates, uh, if you if you work with them. So and that makes sense having the having s- the same kind of BAs come into the store, get to know them. So it's not just a kind of continual turn of of new faces. They want to they want to form relationships at the at the store level. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wanted to add on because I think Jesse, you make a good point. And to any brands listening, you know, one thing that's really, really important is exactly what Jesse mentioned, like the people at the stores are there all the time. They're there every day. Um, and the customers know them really well. And they know they trust them as well. Many of these customers have long-term relationships with them. And when you see anyone in the store, whether they're a janitor or whether they're the head of the chain or or the store, make sure to really treat them um, with respect and to give them you know, your full 100% pitch every time because you never know where they're going to end up. And you want those people to have a good opinion of their product because customers will ask them dozens of times a day, especially the people at the front end uh, or who are on the floor dealing with people all the time. They're going to ask them their recommendations on all sorts of stuff every, every hour of every day that they're there. And they really will sometimes, I mean, we see this all the time that if a cashier or something will tell a customer, I mean, if you put yourself in the customer's shoes, we would do the same, that if they tell them a recommendation, uh, very often the customer will just purchase that item and that, that will, will purchase it again and again. Um, so it's really important to just make sure that you look at those store team members as the ultimate brand advocates, almost even more than the customers because they're there all the time and they'll, they're, they will know your product inside and out. And if you get them to like it, they will introduce it to dozens and dozens of people. Right. And if you're, depending on if it's an independent store, maybe not so much at chain stores, but you know, if you're in there demoing, at least I've seen this kind of in like the Oregon market, the store, the employees start to love the product and they're like, you know what, we're actually going to move you to eye level. We're going to move you to the middle. We're going to give you a free end cap. So exactly. you can, you can yeah. also, yeah. those are big benefits as well. Yeah. Huge benefits. That's totally true. 
And sometimes you don't even know who you're sampling to. We've had events at some smaller retailers where, you know, our brand ambassadors are sampling, they're having a good interaction. It turns out, you know, that's the manager of the store or whatever it might be. And they're really high up and they're like, wow, you know, they had such a positive interaction with this brand ambassador, with the company. So it's just, it's really great all around. You never know who you're going to meet at a demo. You really don't, Mm -hmm. you know, and you want to treat everybody like they're they're special and important and because it's the right thing to do, but also because it's like, that could be what makes the difference for you and your brand. We've had regional buyers shopping at the stores that have sampled at demos. I mean, we've had store owners um, of chains, you know, at the demos. And it's just, it's like, this is your opportunity to be putting yourself on a pedestal. So just make sure that, you know, everything that you do in the stores is something that you'd be proud of. And for, for people that you work with as well, you know, you want their conduct to be becoming of your brand as well. Because it's really important. There's a lot of eyeballs on people um, at, in the stores. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even if the, you know, the person's a brand ambassador and they work for lots of brands part time, when they're there wearing your brand's T-shirt to the, as far as the customer's concerned, they represent your brand and everything you stand for. So they have a bad interaction and that's their new opinion of your brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I'm I'm curious too on the, with, you know, all the supply chain and we've had a lot of just there's been a lot going on in the world with, you know, trying to get your stock in store. And so I'm wondering if you have any practices too on preparing for a demo as far as, you know, stock checks uh, in advance, because I've had to, especially during getting back to sampling during the pandemic, I had to cancel a lot of demos because you get to the store and the product wouldn't be there or you the or the store wasn't prepared for the demo they hadn't ordered extra stock and so then you sell out an hour into your three-hour demo and then it's like oh shoot so i'm i'm curious about kind of how you prepare for any supply chain things that might come up or just making sure that the store has enough stock you know what are ways to prepare for that or check in advance and you know partner with the retailer to make sure you're set up for the demo as far as product in the store yeah it's funny you mentioned that because we've definitely uh, you know seen that and so we, we can definitely relate to those situations where you're you're scheduled to go to a demo and um, you know there's no stock to support the event um, we on our end try and prevent that by communicating with the stores when we're coming in and letting them know hey we're supporting this demo this day you can please order up um, unfortunately sometimes I think depending on what's going on with distribution or like the supply chain issues, um, we still run into those issues, even though we're trying our best on our end to kind of prevent that. But it's about communicating with the stores when we're coming in. Um, And again, some retailers have specific ways about scheduling, which is more helpful in terms of ordering product for the demo. So sometimes we're emailing them and they're really on top of making sure that the orders are coming in. And they'll even let us know, hey, maybe there's not enough stock to do this demo um, for the Saturday like we had planned. So let's reschedule it. But we really try our best to contact the stores, let them know when we're coming in, asking them to order. And then also there's some other systems in place that are helpful. Like like you mentioned, the Whole Foods portal. The Whole Foods portal is accessible to the managers for each department so they can see the schedule and they can order and um I think a couple of retailers have different portals like that, too. Right. Is there a specific cadence that you find that works well of like, you know, two days before the demo, checking in on the store or a week before any anything that you found? Or does it kind of depend on the actual store and like the systems, like you said, like based on if they have a portal or not kind of thing? We typically find 
like a week or four days beforehand is usually best. But again, sometimes they'll let us know specifically like, hey, we want to know a week before you're going to come in or call us the day before we put our order in. Um, So sometimes they'll be specific and kind of give us that information and we'll take note and that'll be helpful moving forward. But typically we see around a week to four days in advance before the event kind of being best. So they have time to put that order in. Right, right. And hiring and having the right brand ambassador is so key to this. We've all been to, you know, we were all just at Expo East last week. We've all been to a grocery store demo where you see someone that's just sitting behind a table on their phone and, you know, you go up to grab a sample and they might not even make eye contact. And, you know, that's that's what you don't want to spend your valuable marketing dollars on. So I'm I'm curious about your perspective on like hiring the right people and training them and really making advocate of their brands, what do you find really critical for finding the right brand ambassador fit and getting them, you know, pumped up and and what they should expect as far as a demo too, so that they when they go into the store, if, you know, maybe they're a newer brand ambassador, how do you set them up for success as well? That's such a wonderful question. And I honestly feel like usually when we're onboarding brands, that's kind of like the number one question that we get. But it, it comes back to how how and why we started this this company. I think when we were doing demos ourselves and when we started the business, um, demos were in like in the natural food world were really just starting to become more popular. And I think everyone has this idea of, you know, just a brand ambassador being behind a table and giving out samples and not being again a good representation of the company themselves that they're they're actually sampling that day. Um, I always tell people that we are not a staffing company in the sense that we're just hiring people to cover an event um, just because it's last minute or just because it needs to get done. We have consistent team members that have been with us for six or seven years. Um, they've stayed with us for a really long time just because I think we've created an environment where they have flexibility, but they're passionate about in-store demos and they really enjoy being in stores and having relationships with teams and the customers. Um, we always, in our interviews, I think it's almost like a, a gut feeling that we look for. We're, we're interested to see how people respond to certain questions. A number one thing I ask people is, you know, what made you interested in this position in the first place? And, you know, that I think that is a really great giveaway of the kind of person that is applying for the position. So it's about finding good people, um, Obviously, it's all, it's all people based. So sometimes it's it's a little hard to expand based off of finding great 100% A plus people in every city. But um, I think with our growth, we've been able to do that consistently. And I think that's why a lot of brands keep coming back to us because they have formed relationships themselves with the brand ambassadors that we have on our team. Right. Yeah. And are there any kind of critical components to training that you found either like messaging or helping walk people through an interaction with the customer? Like if you're building out training for new brand ambassadors and a brand is doing this on their own, what are some of the key things that you would want them to make sure that they communicated in training a brand ambassador? I would I would say like one thing like for brands, it's like first you got to remember like you get what you pay for and you have to value this type of work adequately, not just with like a lot of brands. I think a mistake is that People will just throw someone in there and they'll they'll pay them, uh, you know, not enough. And then they're going to get substandard results, you know, and they don't train them enough. It's like you need to set the stage right to do this type of work. It's a very complicated job. And when founders do it themselves, they can appreciate that and they see how difficult it can be when you have a difficult customer or a difficult day demoing. Um, it requires a lot of different skills to do this work. And as a baseline, you know, for for us, what we do is that we provide like nutritional training 
um, to our teams, just basics, 101, you know, nutrition, like on Coursera courses and a few more that we have also so that we have a base um, of knowledge of what do these terms mean? What is a macronutrient? What is a micronutrient? These things are important because it is going to directly inform how many times if a customer asks why or what does something do uh, or why does it do it? It's how many of those questions can be answered. A lot of that is going to depend on that basic knowledge. So that's one thing. If you have someone going into the stores, um, if they don't have a background in natural food or in any sort of food and beverage um, knowledge, you want to think about that and try and give that to them. There are free courses people can take to learn about that. Um, and it's really not not that expensive to do it. It's a few hours and it'll make a world of difference for the demos. Even for us ourselves, when we do it, we learn from these courses all the time. Other than that, having sort of a standardized process, whether it's just a simple bullet point list of 10 points to train your team or whether it's something a little more involved, um, like a like a, a training call coupled with like a practice session. These things are great. The only thing I would caution brands against is giving like a hard script, you know, because that I, I think that this is up to the brands, this is up to your preference. But in our experience, when you're with customers, you can't really stick to a script because customers won't stick to a script. So giving people like good, like solid, like five solid brand points, right? About what's great, what to go back to, low sugar, um, prebiotics, it's organic, it's regeneratively sourced. These types of things are much more flexible and memorable, uh, both to the brand ambassador themselves and to the customers. Um, in, as opposed to something like saying like our item is X and Y and Z and trying to get people to say that every time. Um, so I would, I would advise that brands have a little, invest a little bit in your training, even if it's just a free course, if you're going to have someone help you out, pay them for a few hours and have them do the course, um, send them a bullet point list of a couple different things that are important to you. Um, think about a brand ambassador. Like you would think about your first hire. Because this is going to be a person that's really almost even more important than someone who's going to be helping you on the back end because they're going to be in front of people. This is like a territory sales rep. You want them to know everything about your brand, um, but you also want to let them be a little flexible because the conditions they encounter in store are going to be flexible. So invest in that training, um, the basics, you know, and, and give them the tools that they'll need. A few good points, at least about your brand and a little bit of the story, the different SKUs you have. And then, um, and work with them if you can, uh, if you can do, whether it's virtual, like you do a training call with them, um, maybe do a little call and response, uh, or whether you have the luxury of actually being able to go and physically work with them and do a demo or two with them, do it alongside them. You will get far better results that way than if you just throw someone into the store, pay them the bare minimum and don't provide them with that educational material. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that idea of the, having people take just some basic courses on, natural foods and nutrients. And cause that's going to be what so many questions around the consumers may be asking is this has a hundred calories or, you know, this has this much protein or how many macros are in this and those kind of things. And so having that baseline education, even beyond just specific to your brand, I, I really love that idea. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes a world of difference yeah. really to anyone listening. Like it'll make a huge difference and you got to think about it. Like this is a really important part of the business for you because a lot of customers, like we mentioned earlier, they're going to be seeing whoever it is in front of them and they're not, that's going to be your whole brand of them. This is like, like babysitting, you know, you want them to be ready to take care of your kid the way that you would. Right. So you want to have them prepared to do that. Right. 
This is a quick little midway break to tell you a little more about Funky Mellow, who I'll be talking with at the end of this episode. Funky Mellow was one of our Shelfie Award winners, winning Best Plant-Based and makes the world's first refrigerated plant-based marshmallow cream. My obsession with all things marshmallow goes way back, so I was so excited to try the Funky Mellow products, and it's hands down the best marshmallow cream I've ever had. I've been making fluffernutter sandwiches, adding it to my hot chocolate, eating with a spoon. It's just so versatile. They even have seasonal flavors like pumpkin spice. You won't want to miss their founding story, so stay tuned to hear more from co-founder Delisa at the end of the episode. And what do you find is helpful as far as staying engaged with brand ambassadors? So it's one thing to get them trained, they're out in the field, and then, you know, they're getting feedback from consumers, you're doing your thing as a brand, maybe you're releasing new products, or maybe you have other exciting things, and it can kind of be easy to just kind of keep trucking along and, and you know, not necessarily share those wins or things that might really get your brand ambassador team really excited about things that are coming up or keep them engaged in the field. So I'm curious how you can kind of keep that engagement and any best practices for brands, you know, staying in touch with their brand ambassadors, continuing to communicate with them, sharing wins with them, and maybe even using them like a, a little a little focus group because you has, have these people that are so excited about your brand. Like, how do you how do you stay in touch? I would say one thing that's really important is like incentives. That's probably the simplest to implement. It's like you want to have like if you want to hit 12 units at every demo for your item, incentivize that. It doesn't have to be a huge amount. It can just be something, but enough so that if a person does sell that amount, that they will get a small reward. Um, it'll make them feel appreciated and it'll keep them engaged. And also if there's a month where you're trying to make a big push and you set a target for someone, it really will push them to go just that much further. I mean, I know I would want to, if a brand said that they would pay me $20, if I sold 20 units, I would certainly push harder than I would if that incentive wasn't there. Um, so that's a great way to say, to stay engaged, especially with like a local brand team. Bridget. Communication is super important. Something that we do um, is just try and make sure that we have like pretty regular calls with the teams, whether it's, you know, on Slack, text, um, or a video call, um, just keeping them engaged. And I think hearing their own feedback, is that something that we've done that we've learned a lot from where we ask them, okay, so what do you think? How are these demos going? What do you think of this product? You know, and then we're hearing a lot of feedback where, okay, you know, well, it's actually really difficult to sample it this way, or this is a, a feedback we're hearing a lot from the stores, from the customers. It helps us understand better what they're seeing in stores and it puts things in perspective and it from their feedback and what they're able to give us, we've been we've been able to do a lot with the brands, with retailers, with improving demo setups. It's just listening to the feedback that they have. Because again, unless you're in the stores yourself, um, you're just not going to get to see that information. Yeah, I'm. I was amazed what you know when you get a, a team of brand ambassadors together. And early when running a really small small program, you know, brand ambassadors were kind of isolated. Like I'd I'd communicate with one, you you're going to this store, you're going to this store. And you know, they they were just kind of interfacing brand direct to brand ambassador. And then it when running a larger program, I was like, you know, what happens if kind of all the brand ambassadors are kind of in a community like what you're talking about? And I was amazed at like just kind of the magic that happens of the knowledge sharing of, oh, hey, I tried this at and it worked really well. And somebody's like, oh, I'll try that next time. And then they circle back and they're like, oh, yeah, that worked really amazing. Or, you know, just especially with navigating the pandemic coming up with all sorts of 
creative solutions. So I think it's amazing what when you learn from all your brand ambassadors and also let them all learn from each other, that knowledge sharing is just so more much more powerful than just kind of everyone operating in, in their own isolation. Yeah. yeah. Have them as a, include them as a part of your community. Yeah. Let's like to your point, like you'll get a lot more out of people if they feel included um, in any setting. And this is no exception to that. Yeah. One of one of my favorite competitions was to do like best table setup. And then everyone would send pictures of their table and some people would get the floral department involved or sometimes they'd ask a produce employee if they could bring over some, you know, fresh fruit or something. And then everyone would take pictures and then everyone was like cheering for each other, you know, sending heart emojis in Slack or whatever. And ultimately, like, sure, there was a prize and that was an incentive, but it also just became a way to like celebrate like, oh, wow, you did a beautiful setup. I'm going to use that at my store. And I just I loved that kind of like sharing and encouragement of each other. And we're all, you know, everyone wins at the end of the day. And then you also get to celebrate, you know, and and even help get the employees that don't work in marketing that, you know, maybe they work in ops or the back end of your business, but it's helpful for them to be kind of connected with your brand ambassador team and see the fun. You can have them vote on best table or things. It's just, it kind of gets the whole organization inv- involved. And I, I found that really fun. Yeah, exactly. You, you want to, you just put yourself in their shoes and think you want to treat them like you would treat your customer tribe, you know, or just, mm-hmm. just everything is about community these days and little things like that, like table contests, giveaway boxes, incentives, you know, quarterly calls, any way that you can connect and make people feel connected is really the best way to incentivize and and replicate good performance over and over again because it'll make people care. Yeah. When when trying to find brand ambassadors if a if a brand isn't using isn't using an agency and they're trying to find brand ambassadors on their own, do you have any tips for trying to find people like, you know, this isn't necessarily uh, the kind of thing where you're maybe just going to do a traditional job posting. Maybe you can, but I think there's some other kind of creative ways to to find brand ambassadors. And I'm curious about your perspective on helping helping find people when you're you're on the search. Yeah, so there's two things I would recommend a brand does. Um, one is Facebook. Okay, these communities all live on Facebook. That is where this this group of of people all live and communicate essentially this is where all the brands will find the best people the people who are doing it usually for the long term um so there's different groups for every locality for every city find yours or find the ones that you're looking for and just post in there um but just understand that like they're gonna have certain expectations and so in terms of like pay rate or in terms of you know what type of items they work with or Mm -hmm. don't and just be willing to go along with that or try and find a different group that aligns. Um, but just understand that like, that's where you're going to find these people and that they're in their own communities. So you have to kind of go to them to find them, the best ones, at least usually. Um, in terms, of, in terms of, of finding people like on traditional sites, things like that, you still can. Um, but generally speaking, the Facebook communities are definitely what we would recommend. I think what you said earlier too about finding people who are kind of going to be like your first company hire because you want somebody, if you're going to be working with them directly, you you want them to be as passionate and interested in your product as you are because they're going to be working with you directly. They're going to be working with the brand directly. So I think it's a matter of finding people who are, you know, when you're interviewing them and talking to them, interested in the type of product that you're selling, who are personally interested in it and, and you know, invested in it for their own person, like their own reasons. I think that would make a big difference. Right. Are there any other like interview questions or 
red flags, green flags that you find in the hiring process? Like you mentioned asking, you know, why someone's interested in the posi- in a position, you can learn a lot from that. Are there any other kind of go-to questions that you have when kind of deciding, is this person going to be the right fit for this position or the right fit to work with this brand? Yeah, definitely. I would say simple question is you can ask like, what kind of food do they eat? You know, what, what markets mm. do they shop at? Um, are they keto or do they like any diets? Are they, are they vegan? Um, are they alcohol free? Is there anything like that? You know, and just, just see how they respond. That's really a big thing. Another, another huge question is have they worked in the natural industry before? And you could probably see that on their resume or whatever. But the, the thing is, is that if they've worked at a Whole Foods, if they've worked at a Sprouts, if they've worked at an independent market, that's a really big deal because that means that they're probably going to understand the environment already. They're probably going to understand how to talk to customers about those types of items. And um, it's it's really informative of how they're going to be able to approach situations in the store and how they're going to like how if they're going to know what backstock is, if they're going to know um, who to check in with and what to say to them um, and what to ask for at the end of the demo, like ask for a reorder of product because it's low or a certain item is out of stock or if uh, if there's an issue with quality and you know they're starting to see maybe a, a protein bar has some mold on it or something like that you know how to respond to that to take pic- to make sure to take pictures of the code dates and all these things so that's a big green flag if you find somebody with natural product experience that's always a good thing when we're looking to hire people um you know if you find a, a whole foods employee or something like that that's that's going to be a big green flag so look for those things and really just ask them about themselves and their their journey in the food world. You know, everyone eats, everyone drinks. So asking them a little bit about what they like um, will really tell you a lot about the person. Yeah, that's very helpful. And I'm curious about too, kind of the pros and cons of managing your own demo program as a brand versus hiring a vendor. And if you can kind of talk through maybe some of those pros and cons of either the logistics that you have or cost and in what, you know, what you see people think through when they're deciding whether to to manage a brand ambassador program in-house or whether to use a service. For sure. So this is an important question. So um, with total candor, you can do both things. You really will need to eventually for almost all companies, I think you will eventually need to outsource at least certain parts of it. Just because demo programs, since they involve people and there's a lot of moving parts, they usually get very complicated at scale. But when you're starting out, it's really important, um, you know, like anything, to get your own feet into it, to see how it works and to get experience with it so that you know what the challenges you're going to be facing or other agencies would be facing later on uh, either way. So I'd say if you're a small brand, you can manage your own program, especially in the beginning. You know, if you're in, let's say, I don't know, 50 to 100 doors in Southern California, right? For example, in the beginning, you will be able to hire maybe like one to three brand ambassadors. Maybe a lot of the time, you know, they'll be your friends, your family, um, people you know that are helping you out for a little while. And that is definitely good enough to get it off the ground. Sometimes those people will be really good. Um, so that's when it goes back to all the things that we had said earlier, uh, is you want to train them though. You want to still treat them like, even if they're your friends or your family, you still want to give them the resources to succeed. Um, you want to give them that training, that knowledge base that they can draw from. Um, and up to about like, you know, five people or four people, you can probably do that with reasonable success. The real issue is that once you get past that point, 
And any founder who has run demo programs themselves will, will know this, is once you get past that point, it gets difficult because all of a sudden you're managing a whole bunch of people and maybe you're not going to have events for everybody to do every month. And what if one person gets sick or a person moves or they cancel their demos on short notice? It starts getting bigger and it starts getting a little more unwieldy. That's usually where agencies will come in to assist. It's kind of like distribution. Like if you're in 10 markets in your local area, in your community, you can drop the products off yourself in the beginning. But as you grow and you get a chain activation uh, with a 20-door chain bringing your items in, all of a sudden, you're talking to DSDs, you're talking to distributors, you're talking uh, about a totally different structure than what you were doing before. And you can no longer just go continue to drive and yourself and deliver product. It's really a similar model for, for demos. It's like after you get that first big chain activation, it's going to be really difficult um, to keep managing that program in-house. But in the beginning, you absolutely can and should do that um, to get your to get yourself in front of the customers, to sell product, and to learn about the whole process. Because it's something that it, demos are absolutely essential, especially in this day and age, with digital being so expensive and so much stuff being online and so many distractions. You know, there's nothing that cuts through the noise more than just being in front of someone and letting them try something. It is simple and it has been done forever and it, it just works. Um, but if, you, if you're going to be doing it on your own, I would say just be prepared for as it grows for it to get more complicated and eventually know that you will probably need reinforcements at some point. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. And do you have any anything that you recommend for helping hire the right you know, agency or vendor, if you're going to hire someone to help with your brand ambassador team, what should you look for in a vendor and finding that they're going to be the right partner? Because again, you know, demos are demos are no small cost as far as a marketing activation. So if you're going to be paying an agency, how do you make sure that they're going to be the right fit for your brand? Any questions that you recommend asking or things to look for in their setup that are that, you know, are going to make it a good fit for your brand. Yeah. So um, if the shoe was on the other foot and I was a food brand and I was interviewing grassroots marketing and looking to see what our capabilities are, what costing would be, all these things, right? I would ask a few questions. You know, one is how do you train your people? Because that's really important. And um, that's something that you're going to want to know. How much access are, is the, are they going to give you to training their people as well? So if I'm asking the agency, I'm definitely going to be like, well, am I going to be allowed to have a training call with your team? Very important. Um, two, I would say is that you want to ask, how do they hire their people? Are they, there's a lot of agencies in the space that are more oriented towards like trade shows and big activations where you do absolutely need to hire on a temporary basis. Now, if you're doing longer term food and beverage demos, that might not be the right fit for you. Uh, you want to know if the people they're hiring are going to be temps or if they're going to be more, even if they're contracted, if they're more like full time with them, part time with them, more consistent. Um, so that's a really important question. How do they hire and where do they hire from? Um, you know, another thing is what's the experience of their of their agency? Do they work with a really broad base of items? A, a lot of the time you'll see agencies that do all sorts of things like work car shows. Um, big events, conventions, and also offer in-store samplings. 
you want to get more background on that. Does their company really have a lot of experience doing specifically in-store demos? Um, and if so, what's that look like? Um, you know, the last couple things, I would say one more, how do they track the data that they're gathering in the stores? Really important for you as, an, as a brand owner is how is the agency going to track the sales, uh, the performance, the, all the KPIs that you're looking for, that's going to depend on how they track their data. That's going to be the limit of what you can measure. So how do they track that is really important. And then last, I would say, is the cost. Um, and how is the cost structure? How does it work? Are there minimums that you need? Are there, is there like, do you need to order 20 demos in advance and pay all up front? Is it pay as you go? Um, is it a flat rate or are there additional fees? Um, if you're an item that requires preparation of some kind, is there another fee for that? Um, so all the details of the pricing are really important, but not just what's the cost, but are there any other costs? And are there any discounts that you get for booking in bulk or in advance? Um, anything like that. And is, is a deposit required? So it is a lot on the pricing piece. But I would say I would caution brands also the the human tendency is to go for the cheapest thing a lot of the time, you know, to be really impacted by that price point number. But when it comes to something like an in-store demo, especially if you are not running them directly yourself, I would I would just caution any brand for going immediately for the lowest option. You want to find a mix of quality and a good price that makes sense for you. But just be warned that like saving a couple hundred dollars a month um, on a difference uh, uh, between price tiers between agencies, if it comes at the expense of the quality of your events, is not worth it. It just isn't. You want someone who's going this again. You wouldn't look for a babysitter by trying to see what the cheapest babysitter rate is. You would want to find someone who would treat your kids right and who would be the best option overall. So that's what I would tell brands. Yeah, that's great. Those are all super helpful. Um, I'm also, you know, while we're while we're on the topic, um, because I wish that I had known about grassroots a long time ago. So, you know, tell us a little bit more about what it looks like to work with grassroots. What areas do you cover? What retailers do you work with? Um, and how can anyone listening get in touch with you? Because I think you've shared so much amazing knowledge. And so if brands, you know, do want to get in touch and want to learn a little bit more, I'd love to to hear you share a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we love helping natural brands. We've done this since the beginning. Um, we've been around for seven years and this is the space that we've been in for that entire time. Um, really like if a brand was to come to us, you know, I would say some of the perks that, of working with us are that our pricing is flat rate. It's there's discounts based on quantity. There's no minimum commitments that you need to make. So you can test the waters with five events or, or, you know, 500. It's up to you. And training, you know, we're flexible on that. We invite brands to please train with our team. Um, we have flat rates, so we don't charge. There's no additional fees um, that are like not specified or anything. Everything is in our deck up front. Um, and simple to budget for and supplies, you know, we provide all of those. You don't have to worry about it. We're really just a turnkey solution. That's the thing. We're turnkey. We handle the scheduling, the training, the supplies, 
and the execution and then the follow-up of the events so that you don't have to worry about it. I always say to brands, we want it to be as simple as you sending us a list and us sending you a schedule. And that's it. And I think focusing on the partnership too, I think we've always really tried our best to do whatever is possible for each brand. I mean, we, we treat them all the same. We, um, no matter what size you're in, we, we try our best to communicate with you and answer any questions you might have, um, to give you any recommendations, referrals or anything. I mean, I think that's what makes what we do a little bit more special is just the fact that you can be a brand coming to us at any point of your business, uh, launching at a retailer or just wanting to support a new campaign. And you can come to us and I think you'll see that we'll, we'll help you throughout the entire step process of going, scheduling with the stores, making sure brand, uh, brand ambassadors are, are educated, making sure that everything goes thoroughly. And yeah, we're always open to feedback. We've had a lot of brands ask us really crazy, unique things. And it's also helped us grow as a company as well. We've been able to expand to different regions because of brands. Um, you know, we've had different questions on our reporting or different setups because brands had recommended things too. So it's really a partnership. We don't feel like we're the separate entity from the actual brand themselves. We really do feel like the whole team, us included, are an extension of your brand. Yeah. We're, our coverage, by the way, and anything is all on our website. We try to make it simple and our pricing too. Um, so you don't even have to necessarily jump on a call with us or anything to check that out. Try to be pretty transparent with that stuff. It's all online. You can see it there. Right now we're in about seven states um, and we're working with a lot of different regional chains, local chains, places like Whole Foods, Sprouts, local um, independents, Central Market, Mothers, um, Jim mothers Jimbo's, Erwan, um, all of these places, you know, you can find us there. If your brand is launching at Erwan, we're a partner with them. We assist in doing all of their launch demos and the majority of their post-launch demos. So like the actual full sampling that you see after um, a brand gets in and we handle that, you know, Mothers, we have recently started working with brands at those stores as well and partnering with them. Um, so if you're in these markets, please let us know and we can assist. We'd be happy to even just give advice. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're in a lot of places. We just try to make it simple for the brands, the whole process, because demos can be pretty complicated if you do them on your own. For sure. Yeah. Quick pause for me to let you know that Grassroots launched a really cool program after we recorded this episode. Here's a clip from David sharing a bit more. We're super excited to announce a new program called Co-Branded Demos. Now, what this is, is a program where two aligned brands that have items that complement one another can split the cost and reach new audiences at the same time. So this also is a great way to show customers how to use your items in real life settings. For example, like with an oat milk and a healthy gluten-free cereal. This is a great way to show shoppers what they would probably be using the items for at home in a real life setting, all well again, splitting the cost and reaching different audiences from brands that are really running parallel to yours. So we just launched a registry for it. We are, our link is on our LinkedIn and on the startup CPG um, marketing channel as well. For any info, you can always DM us on LinkedIn. We'd be happy to provide the link and we're posting about it all the time to let people join up on the registry so that we can start matching brands with other brands so that we can get these demos going and get your items in front of customers. 
So people can go to grassrootsdemos.com as your website. And then I believe you have an Instagram, also Grassroot Demos. And is that the best way to reach out to you? Just go to the website and contact you from there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can always hit us up. You know, our emails are just david at grassrootsdemos.com or bridget at grassrootsdemos.com. Yeah. Um, you know, drop us an email and we'll be happy to help or a DM on the Startup CPG Slack. We're on there as well. And oh, um, it, even if it's just questions, you know, don't feel don't feel like anybody listening needs to just only talk to us if they want demos from us. Please, we're always happy to assist. Even if a brand is trying to put together their own demo campaign using their own people, we would we would be happy to answer any questions or provide any advice. Yeah, great. That's very helpful, and we so appreciate you being in the startup CPG Slack and you know coming to our events at, at Expo East and everything. So so glad that you're a resource for our community, and really appreciate all the information that you shared today. This was super helpful. And, you know, hopefully you'll have some of our, some of our listeners reaching out. So thank you again, David and Bridget. So glad that you joined us today. Thanks so awesome. much, Jesse. Thank you so much, Jesse. Appreciate it. Don't head out just yet. Keep listening for an interview with Funky Mellow founder, Delisa Harper, that I'm so excited to share with you. Hi, Delisa. Welcome to the show today. How are you? Hey, Jesse, I am great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so happy to have you here. We were talking a little bit before we pressed record that I am just such a marsh. I love marshmallows. I've loved marshmallows like my whole life. I think you use the term marshmallow connoisseur, which I think I'm going to put on my resume now. That's going to be like my new title. Um, but like some of my earliest memories are like eating bowls of marshmallows. <laughs> um, and then I learned eventually like how to make some at home. And so I, I love marshmallow cream, marshmallow fluff. And so I was so excited to try Funky Mellow because I'm always looking for like a you know, a plant-based gluten-free option. And I was blown away when I sampled the product, like the first like spoonful, I was like, the texture is perfect. Like it's the best marshmallow cream I've had hands down in my life. And so I was like, this is incredible. And then the cookies and cream. Oh, oh my gosh. I don't know how it's not a single serving size just to eat the whole thing. Cause it's so good, but I want to, I didn't eat it all. Cause I'm like, now I want to experiment with like different things and like hot cocoa. And so I've got like a whole plan of all the ways I'm going to keep experimenting. But I just had to share that I love the product so much. I'm so glad that you won the Shelfie Award for Startup CBG this year. Just so well deserved. Um, and I can't wait to like, I'm hesitant to share with people that come to my house, but like I will because I want them to know, like I want them to become to funky right. mellow, like fans so you know i will sh i'll make that a sacrifice for them <laughs> and, and your mindset is usually that is it's so normal to feel that way so don't feel like you're okay like, <laughs> like being just super i don't know like you're trying to hold on to everything it's fine it's the same thing that happens because it, it and it's same with me too when we first discovered our product and tasting it and making the different flavors i was like I don't know if I want to share it, but right? <laughs> that is a product that you want to share with the world because that means that it's just that good. And if it mm -hmm. makes you happy and brings all that nostalgia back, but it, like in a different way, it's the yes. best thing ever. So we're so happy. And it makes me really happy to hear you going through the cycles. Of <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the, the you know, the founding story behind Funky Mellow? Absolutely. So... I founded Funky Mello with my husband, Zach. Uh, I'd say we started back in like 2018. Uh, we actually started uh, selling Rice Krispie treats at farmer's markets when we lived in Houston. And the whole idea came about 
because Zach and I have a ton of dietary restrictions. Um, We are vegan, gluten-free, food allergies. It's just, it's really hard to go out and enjoy a good meal and dessert when you just have so many restrictions. You're tired of like a fruit bowl or like sorbet. Like you want to have the cake that's down the hallway. So we were inspired by a crispy tree, actually. There was one restaurant in particular where there was a plain crispy tree. It was tasty, but it was so boring. So I was like, there has to be something better that we can create. And so we ended up creating really funky flavored crispy treats. Uh, we had like strawberry champagne and Saturday morning, which was made with like Fruity Pebbles, like cereal, stuff like that. Um, And people loved it at the markets. Uh, So we wanted to share it with a wider audience and also like ship, be in stores um, because we had really good traction locally. So we realized that the crispy treats, they just they would get stale after a few days. So they weren't shelf stable. We had to pivot to like, why not make our own marshmallows? Turns out, though, that marshmallows are also really hard to make shelf stable um, without like the really large, expensive equipment. So we've always been interested in making a marshmallow fluff. And we ended up dabbling and finding a great recipe for us to kind of tweak and make our own. And that's what we did. So this fluff was introduced last October. And ever since then, it's kind of been a whirlwind. It's uh, It's been in, you know, like we're in like 200 or so stores um, for Sprouts alone for the holidays. We're in uh, all the local Austin Whole Foods stores. We're in different like vegan boutique grocery stores as well around the nation. And I think we're, we're dabbling a little bit in uh, Canada. So it's just, it's been amazing ever since we launched this cream. That's so awesome. I love hearing that. And yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about the like Rice Krispie connection there because I'm, that's like my other favorite dessert, which maybe is not surprising as I shared my love of marshmallows. So yeah, I made Rice Krispies like two days ago. So um, yeah, that, oh, that's so cool. And wow. So can you share a little bit about like, I think the Sprouts is uh, like launching in select Sprouts is pretty recent. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So we actually just launched in like, I'd say the end of last month, early this month across like it was originally supposed to be like just over 200, but I think we're now reaching like around 250, which is a good sign because that means more and more stores are hearing about it and they're interested in bringing it into their store. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's literally, you can go on our store lo- locator on funkybell.com because I think I finally just added all the stores that we're in, um, but it's, you know, mainly in California, but it's like, it's, it's definitely coast to coast. Uh, we are the vanilla flavored marshmallow cream that is in the refrigerated dairy section, even though there's no dairy because it's fully plant-based, but that is the section that we're in by like the yogurts and the cookie doughs and the whipped toppings. And it's, yeah, it's uh, we're, we're very, very excited to be there throughout the end of the year and maybe even after. Yeah. Amazing. And at some point you did a Kickstarter campaign as well, I believe, right? We did. Ah, the old days. Yes. Um, so we, actually started i think it was right before we launched the creams um it was like that summer before we were doing a kickstarter campaign to help us get a 40 quart mixer for our um our marshmallow cream because i think before then we were just making the transition as well from like being a home business to an actual business and we had to scale up so we can no longer do like a small KitchenAid mixer or even the 20 quart mixer that we had. We needed to go bigger. 
and get the 40 core, which we have now. Uh, her name is Gizmo, and she sits in the corner of our kitchen. <laughs> she works harder than all of us, so it's, uh, <laughs> that's kind of like that's that's the key to us making the delicious cream. But yeah, we uh, we couldn't have done it without the help of like 300 or so um, really kind people giving towards that Kickstarter. So thank you all. That's amazing. So you're st- so you're still making the product. Gizmo's still still helping create every product that we get to that we are trying. That's right. Everything is handmade by at least one of us on the team. There, there, there's only three of us right now. So yes, we put all of our love into the product that you see on shelves or deliver to your door. That's amazing. That's so cool. And at what point did you find Startup CPG? How did you find Startup CPG? So it was fun. I think we actually ran into you guys uh, several times in the course of like the last couple of years, but what stuck home for me was when I went to a local event and you guys had like vendors at tables. And so I took time to talk to all of them. I think I eventually talked to uh, a few of the uh, the program leaders as well. And uh, that's when they're like, we have a Slack channel. We have all these resources, like come on board and, and, you know, it's, it's free to join. And, uh, you know, you guys genuinely wanted to help brands do what they do. So we really appreciated that. And so we were able to plug in that way. So yeah, it was, we found you guys by accident, but it was like the greatest find. <laughs> That's so cool. And I love that you were able to join like an in-person event as well. Like I love the Slack channel and I've, and I've attended in-person events like at the, at expos and there's just, there's something magical about all getting together in person too. So I'm so glad you've been able to do that. Yeah. I think it was right after like the COVID bans were like lifted and people were like, yeah, let's do events again. So yeah, it was good timing. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then are, am I right that you are cu- currently in the middle of fundraising as well? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so we actually just finished putting our pitch deck together. Um, so it, it is exciting. And it's, I think every business kind of reaches that time where it's like, okay, we have a lot of traction. People like the product. Things are moving off the shelf. We're getting great reviews. But to get to that next step, we realize it's super expensive. Um, the equipment to scale is expensive. The uh, facility to grow in is expensive. Um, to hire a team is expensive. So for us to reach that next step, we realize that we do have to raise funds. And uh, all of that is definitely going to go towards all the things that I just talked about. Uh, the facility, growing a team. Um, being able to manage larger size orders. And now we have a distributor being able to distribute across the nation and then even internationally um, and, and having a team to do so. So yeah, we're, we're kind of hitting that next level. And it's like the scariest, but the most exciting time because uh, we wouldn't make this decision if it wasn't something that we felt was right for us and that we weren't already on a good path. So um, it's... It's exciting. (laughs) Yeah. I'm also like, I love the branding and like, I love your website. Like, can you share a little bit about any like story or like history of like the branding developing? Cause it like, I mean, I would expect it to be funky. Like it's, but like still it's, I don't know. It's so cool. Like I love going to your website. So I I would just love to hear a little more about that. And is it because you happen to hear music jamming whenever you go to our website? Yes, that's, that's amazing too. Yes. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, that's great. So actually, and I'm glad, I'm so glad. Thank you for that compliment. Um, And that's actually why we 
went this direction with the brand, uh, looking in aisles, you know, at different food, wherever things were just a little bland. We, we realized that you just needed something to kind of spice things up, especially after we've been indoors for too long, you know, with COVID. So um, we were all about wanting to bring happiness to people. And like food is the best way to do that. And even before you eat our product, you see it on the shelf, you see us on social media, you see the website. But the inspiration behind that was really because uh, six months into dating, my husband and I started this business. So this is really a part of us. And we actually met through a music festival. So this brand is like a party, um, you know, because you feel happy. You see the colors, you see music. It reminds us of how we felt when we met at a music festival. And so that is kind of how we wanted to give the experience back to people um, through the colors and everything that you see that we do. I love it. That's so cool. And what should we be watching out for? Like in the next, you know, in 2023, like what's top of mind for you? Yeah. What should we be following along for, for new updates of? Yeah. So, um, we are in the middle of quite a few things for 2023. Well, specifically, I guess on a small level, we are rolling out new flavors. So like on our website, you will see that we have like a pumpkin spice, which, oh, by the way, if we didn't already say um, in stores, you will see our classic flavors of vanilla, cookies and cream and strawberry. Um, you can also order those on our website, but you'll have to, of course, pay for shipping. So people would rather go to a store, which is totally fine. Um, outside of that, we have seasonal flavors that pop in and out. So it's great to kind of just keep up with what we're doing on the website and social media. Um, even bigger than that, we're starting to really get plugged into the right food service communities so that we can have Funky Mellow be a part of a coffee offering or fruit or breakfast or um, even ice cream. So being able to be a part of that and continue to show people how to use our cream and they can also kind of sample it by going to food service and then buy it later. Just creating that like whole uh, customer loop in a way, um, a, a journey about our cream and how to use it. Um, we're also going to launch into some bigger food brands pretty soon. Um, I don't think I can name the name yet because the deal's not closed, but um, I'm sure all of you will recognize the names when they come out. So yeah, it's uh, we're always cranking back here. <laughs> awesome. That's great. That's super exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited to follow along. And I think, did I see something? You did some like s'more kits or something like that, or like some recipes or something. What was that about? Yeah. So um, it kind of just goes alongside me just wanting to educate people about how to use the cream. Um, so a s'more kit is actually something I have in mind to roll out next year. Um, so that kind of falls in line with the question you asked me. Um, it's not out yet, but I do want to create like cocoa kits or, um, you know, partner with other small brands so that we can create just more of an experience around the cream and you can try different products as well that are um, minority owned or just, you know, smaller businesses that you can support. So yeah, um, I, you might've just seen me do a video uh, around like torching our cream because it does torch just like marshmallows. Uh, we do do some local events as well. So creating a s'mores bowl um, has been something that uh, we are giving out there. Um, it's literally just like our marshmallow cream with a bunch of toppings. It's like a deconstructed s'more. So we're doing that too. Uh, and the more I talk about it, I'm like, it's just like, what are you not doing? There's so many things. <laughs> just, I forget <laughs> about it. So this is, this is helpful. Um, good question. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. 
s'mores again another favorite uh, a favorite snack of mine so yeah that sounds very exciting and i'm i'm excited that you're looking into you know working on the food service option because i can you know i'm already thinking i'm like how do I like I need this at like all my favorite ice cream shops like mm-hmm. if I could you know like if that was an option on the menu like I would add it to so many different things you know in places I'm already out in the world on the food service side so that's very exciting yeah, I'm, sure. that sounds really cool yeah I'm super excited to get into that too because that's kind of the whole reason why we started like going out and being disappointed that we couldn't have certain options so this is definitely a product that you don't have to have dietary restrictions to have it but also mm-hmm. like everyone can come together and enjoy it. It just tastes good. And that's, that's the whole point of everything that we're doing. We want it to taste good and we want people to connect over good food. That's not only good to, you know, to you and your mind, but it's, it's good for your body. Like you're not going to bloat or, you know, have pains or whatever, or feel guilty that you ate it um, later. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. why we call ourselves the Feel Good Marshmallow Company. <laughs> yeah. Oh, seriously. And just like the flavor that you've achieved. You know, sometimes when, you know, when someone's trying something that's plant-based or like I mentioned, like we're a gluten-free household, like there's this like, y- you almost feel like you're missing out on something because it's like missing something, quote unquote. And like, you know, most of the marshmallows that probably people have had have had, you know, ingredients that aren't in this and but like when I taste I was like this has taken all everything I wanted a marshmallow to take like and removed the like the little bit of artificialness that maybe was there like there's none of that you just kept the essence the perfectness of a marshmallow and so I'm just yeah I'm so I'm so impressed and so excited to see more people find that in the world and be like oh like marshmallows have leveled up. They've achieved their, you know. Yes, that's what we've done. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm so excited. So yeah, I encourage everyone to go to funkymellow.com. That's M-E-L-L-O. And then you can go to funky underscore mellow on Instagram. So make sure to follow, follow the funky mellow team. And I'm so excited to follow along and continue to stock you know, my new favorite marshmallow cream at my house. And yeah, you're we're we're all cheering for you at Startup CPG. So just so glad you could join me today and share a little bit about the story, a little bit, you know, sneak behind the scenes. This has been so fun. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was really fun. Um, and I look forward to being plugged in into more Startup CPG activities in the future. So can't thank you guys enough. Thank you for listening in today. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation and I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, We'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. And if you found yourself rocking out to our intro and outro music, which I do every single time, make sure to check out the Super Fantastics on Spotify. It's the band of our Startup CPG founder, Daniel Scharf. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer, and on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.